Hi, I'm Rick Schwartz. And I'm Ebony Monet. Welcome to Amazing Wildlife, where we explore unique stories of wildlife from around the world and uncover fascinating animal facts. This podcast is a production of iHeartRadio and San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance, an international nonprofit conservation organization that oversees the San Diego Zoo and Safari Park. I am so excited for today's conversation, dedicated to the beautiful, mesmerizing, mighty tiger. Rick, people have been fascinated by tigers for thousands of years. That's right, Ebony. Some cultures believe that tigers bring good luck and keep bad spirits away. Often, you'll see statues and artwork of tigers around homes or even in the workplace. Other cultures believe that they are powerful, solitary creatures and refer to them as the king of all animals, which I think lions might disagree. (laughs) And one of my favorites, though, honestly, about tigers is that when they roar, it means stormy weather with high winds is sure to come. So it sounds like there's a lot of ideas about tigers circulating, a lot of folklore. What's some misconceptions about tigers that we might be able to clear up today? Yeah, one of the popular ones is about white tigers. Uh, The belief is that a white tiger occurs when a tiger has gained enlightenment. And that's why there aren't that many white tigers, because enlightenment doesn't come easily. But the, the white color in tigers is due to a rare genetic discrepancy. So when two tigers with uncommon recessive gene or genetic coding that eliminates the red and yellow pigment, when they have cubs together, it's possible for one of those cubs or maybe even more to be born as a white tiger. Would that be the same thing as like an albino tiger? Is that what's how it's referred to in the animal kingdom or is it different? It's a little bit different than albinoism. So this, these recessive genes prevent the pigment coloration of yellows and reds, which give that tiger sort of that glowing orange color between those black stripes. Uh, albinoism is the lack of all pigment. So that's when you see the red eyes. There's no stripes at all because there's no pigmentation at all on the cat. And you mentioned that tigers are are solitary creatures. They're often referred to as solitary creatures, but then you'll also see images of tigers together. So when do they commune versus when are they by themselves? Tigers by nature are solitary creatures, and most of the time you will see them out there in the wild by themselves. Now, there is an exception to this, of course. During the breeding season, you might see uh, male and female together for a couple of weeks, maybe even hunting together during that time. Uh, The other exception to this rule is a mom with cubs, and then even further than the young cubs that you might imagine is, you know, sort of that kitten size, when they are sub-adult in size, almost the same size as mom, you would still see the cubs probably hanging out with mom at that time. And then another version of that is when siblings do leave mom's care, they may spend the next few weeks together as well as they start to establish their own territories. I love that idea of, of siblings sticking together and working together. So tigers have various stripes and patterns and sizes and habitats. Um, How many different tiger species are there? Well, there are currently six subspecies of tigers. So they're all tigers, but they're different subspecies found in different areas. Unfortunately, three subspecies have already gone extinct. So at one time, there were nine subspecies that we knew of. Uh, The ones that have gone extinct are the Javan, the Balinese, and the Caspian. At the San Diego Zoo and the Safari Park, we work with the endangered Sumatran and Malayan tiger species. Uh, Other living subspecies of tigers include the Bengal, Amur, which used to be known as the Siberian, uh, South China, and Indochinese. 
So speaking of the Siberian tiger, now the Amur tiger, it's a, a huge species. How do you account for the differences in sizes between the subspecies? That's a great question. And it really plays into a lot of other species we see out in the world that may fill similar niches or niches, and depending on how you want to say it, but also then might be different in size or how they move through their environment. And we're talking several hundred pounds between the different subspecies and some of them. But what we really are seeing is the smaller, more sleek-sized tigers tend to be in thicker, dense jungle, where something like the Amur tiger, they live more in the open. Uh, the forest is not as dense and thick. They might even be found in some tundra areas as well. So their size is going to be, they can be bigger. They don't have to you know, fit through these small parts of the jungle. And then, of course, two prey items. If the prey item is going to be larger, then those that are larger as far as predators will survive as well. So there are a couple different things that come into play as far as how these particular subspecies of tigers have grown into their size, or maybe not, maybe, <laughs> like the Malayan and, and Sumatran being a bit smaller. And speaking of the, the various habitats, tigers are found living wild in parts of um, Southeast Asia. What's, what's their status overall? Yeah, we look at the International Union for Conservation of Nature, uh, often called IUCN, lists all subspecies of tigers as endangered. And it's hard to believe uh, across all six subspecies, the total tiger count, only 4,000 left in the wild. It's kind of sad. Now, they are threatened, of course, by habitat destruction, poaching. Human-tiger conflict is a big problem, too. And when there's habitat destruction, it means less space for both tigers and their prey. Less prey means fewer areas for tigers to live. Oh, that's unfortunate. And something else that threatens tigers' chances for survival happens right at, at birth. Can we talk about how tigers are born with their, their eyes closed and how does that ultimately impact their chances for survival in the wild. Yes, unfortunately, the wild can be a pretty harsh place. Um, and, and believe it or not, you know, this is kind of a fun fact, all cats are born blind. So uh, lions, tigers, leopards, that. all of them, they're born blind and their eyes won't open usually for six to 12 days, depending upon the species. And this is a very vulnerable time for them. Mom usually will not even leave their side at this time. And there's times, too, where if something does scare her off from the cubs, they are left to be uh, very vulnerable in that state. So there's a lot of risk that first six months to a year for any newborn baby animal in the wild. It's, it can be a challenging place. Very vulnerable. So, Rick, you mentioned the, the human-tiger conflict. Can you tell us more about that? What's, what's happening? Yeah, unfortunately, uh, there, there are many challenges between humans and tigers, and this happens with other species as well. As human populations grow, and like any other animal on the planet, we require resources. We require land for that resource. And, and so we start to encroach further into habitats that have not had humans before. And those habitats, of course, in this case where tigers live, suddenly we see humans coming into closer contact with tiger territory and tiger populations. And so this causes a conflict, of course, uh, because of the challenges a large predator like a tiger might have on a small community. And coming up, we'll talk about some of the efforts to address some of those challenges for conservation in the wild. Thanks so much, Rick. All right, now it's time for the San Diego Zoo Safari Park Minute, an opportunity for you to learn what's new at the zoo. The Jane Goodall Institute, one of the top international conservation organizations, has named President and Chief Executive Officer of the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. 
Paul A. Baribalt as chairman of the board of directors. Baribalt has, until this change, served in the capacity of vice chairman of the board. The organization is known internationally for primate conservation, establishing and maintaining the longest-running study of wild chimpanzees. Fun fact, did you know that Jane Goodall was the first person to document that chimpanzees make tools, eat and hunt for meat, and have similar social behaviors as humans? She truly transformed the way we think of great apes. We'll be right back. They're powerful, elusive, and disappearing. Today, we're talking about tigers. Joining the conversation is San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance CEO, Paul Baerbalt. Hi, Paul. Hello there. How's the Alliance working with partners in Indonesia to save this endangered species? Well, there are approximately 600 Sumatran tigers remaining, and they're spread across 23 forest landscapes. In the past, tiger conservation work in Sumatra has focused on tigers in protected areas. But more than half of the tigers killed every year are actually killed outside of these areas. So we've partnered with Sintas Indonesia for a first-of-its-kind long-term research and conservation project. We're studying tiger ecology, which means we're studying the relationship between tigers and their environment. Now, monitoring tigers in, in nature and is a big task. What's the approach? Well, as you mentioned earlier, tigers are elusive. Their coats help them camouflage against the forest backdrop, which makes it easier for them to roam for hundreds of miles. But their paw prints and scat are clues that tell us where they may be, and we use cameras to provide even more detailed information on their location and behaviors. So to clarify, Paul, we're talking about scientists analyzing the hair, paw prints, and scat, or poop of tigers. What can you determine from analyzing a tiger's poop? Well, you know, you can actually determine a lot. And I have to say, in in my career, I never imagined I'd be talking about poop on a podcast. (laughs) But, you know, with their hair and their paw prints and scat, what we learn, it it provides scientists with a ton of information, including the identity of the tiger, its reproductive status, as well as what it's eating. So with all of this data being collected, what have we learned so far? What are the biggest challenges tigers are facing? Well, without a doubt, habitat fragmentation and the loss of native prey populations from overhunting are some of the biggest challenges. And that leads to tigers wandering out of the forest and closer to farms and villages in search of food. The loss of livestock or the fear of a tiger attack often, and and sadly, unfortunately, results in the tiger's death most of the time. So what can be done? Um, What's being done to help? Well, at, at the core, we have to reduce the loss of tigers due to human wildlife conflict. And Indonesian wildlife officials are bringing tigers who threaten people and livestock to rescue centers. We're working with a local conservation agency to re-release several of these tigers, fitted with GPS collars to study and learn about their movements and how they live across their habitats. And Paul, working with local organizations is a big part of the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance's conservation strategy. What's the measure of success for this work? Well, it's a great question, and I really thank you for asking it, because at the cornerstone of everything we do, we always have to be thinking about what success looks like, what are we trying to achieve, and how do we best support our partners? Well, our partners in Sumatra aim to protect and save tigers by reducing human-wildlife conflict and formulating best practices in tiger management across these landscapes. We also hope to greatly reduce the number of tigers that spend their lives in rescue centers. 
and actively work with villages to reduce the negative perception many people have of tigers. We want to show that people and tigers can coexist and successfully share the same landscapes. That's amazing. Great work. Paul, thanks for sharing how the latest in science and technology are being used to protect tigers. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's show. We hope you learned a lot and are inspired to do your part. Be sure to subscribe and tune into next week's episode, in which we'll bring you the story of one of North America's smallest mammals. I'm Ebony Monet. And I'm Rick Schwartz. Thanks for listening. For more information about the San Diego Zoo and San Diego Zoo Safari Park, go to sdzwa.org. Amazing Wildlife is a production of iHeartRadio. Our producer is Nakia Swinton, and our executive producer is Marcy DePina. Our sound designer and editor is Cody Scully with assistance from Matt Stillo. For more shows from iHeartRadio, check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 